What a, what a message that we have a God that, that can be addressed in so many ways wherever we are. I have been thinking about God as a just God this week for, for multiple reasons. I've been thinking about justice. Justice, that righteous action whether taken by humanity or by God, it's, it's a principle of fairness. Justice, that, that righteousness, the impartiality in dealing with individuals and society. No doubt in recent years that term of justice has been twisted, manipulated, and tainted. But in the biblical context, justice is an essential attribute of your God and mine. When we think of, of justice and God, it's, it's the very thing that identifies his character, his holiness, his righteousness. And as believers, we are called to pursue it in our interactions, in our engagements. It's what is correct. It's what is right. It's what is deserved. Be careful when you begin to truly desire justice. When we look at God's word. I've been watching the news and the events unfolding over in the Middle East, as I'm sure some of you have, if not all of you. As we have watched the, the tragic atrocities, the brutal attacks that have been going on, we, we see the depravity of mankind displayed on the screens in front of us. We read the reports that, that break our hearts. And as we watch these events unfold, our hearts cry out for justice, do they not? We see actions that are unjust, and we grieve. I want to assure you this morning that Israel still remains the apple of God's eye. I want to assure you that God is still on his throne. He still desires that his people return back to himself. And as we watch these events unfold, we have to remember that God is preparing, as he did before, for his son to return. And the way he goes about doing that are not always comfortable. Israel has definitely sparked the attention of the world. Many have come and, and talked to me, texted me, emailed me, called me, and, and they're concerned and they're like, what does this mean? Is this the, the end of the world? And... No, we still have a little time before the end of the world, according to Scripture. We are one day closer to his return, yes. 
But as you read Matthew and Mark, Jesus Christ declared there will be wars, there will be rumors of wars, and we are seeing just that unfold. I will say, though, that there are some peculiar things going on, is it? And as we look at the prophets, we look with anticipation, could this be us getting that much closer? Could we be the generation that God captures up in the clouds to himself? I sure hope so. And then I take pause and I grieve as I look around and see so many not ready. As we see the events of Israel unfold, I encourage you to pray to a God who is unfolding his plan and his purpose in preparation for his coming son. That we pray that those who know Christ will be bold in their testimony. For the only hope there is, and that's Jesus Christ. Our cry for justice as we watch the news should resonate as we look this morning at the book of Amos. Amos, one of God's prophets. Last week we looked at Joel. He, he was a prophet to Judah, declaring the things that Judah needed to hear from God and the warnings that were coming. But this week, we're looking at Amos, and he's from Judah, but he's sent. He's sent to the northern kingdom of Israel with a message from God. Amos, one sent. His name means burden bearer. Very fitting for the, the message that he writes. And as, as Amos goes to the northern kingdom, there is a message that God has put on his heart that burdens him. The people of Israel are a heavy burden on his heart. Let me challenge you, church, that you and I too should have a burden for the message that God has given us, for the message of Jesus Christ to the lost people around us. Our hearts should be so burdened that we too would take that message to those around us. Look at how Amos begins his, his book, his writing, as he declares this message. I'd encourage you to turn to Amos chapter 1. This morning I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. As I studied this week, they, it, it put it in such a, a beautiful way. Let me read for you the first two verses. This message was given to Amos, a shepherd, from the town of Tekoa in Judah. He received this message in visions two years before the earthquake, when Uzziah was king of Judah and Jeroboam II, the son of Jehoahash, was king of Israel. This is what he saw and heard. The Lord's voice will roar from Zion and thunder from Jerusalem. Remember, Zion, Jerusalem, that is where the temple of God is. And God is declaring a message here. He says, the, the lush pastures of the shepherds will dry up. The grass on Mount Carmel will wither and die. 
Judgment is coming, and God is declaring it. He is roaring forth. He is thundering this message to Israel. This is not coming as a whisper. This is not coming as a nudge. There is a strong message that is being sent, and God uses, I love this, He uses a shepherd. We'll see later, a a farmer, one who farms figs. He's not a theologian. He's not a priest. He's not taught in the ways of the prophets. We see a man. A working class man who has a sensitive heart for the Lord. We see a shepherd who hears and sees God's message. There is something to be heard here. There is something to be declared. And I love this. We see him respond. Church, God wants and desires people who will respond to his message. And he is compelled to declare it to those around him. He is compelled to share this message regardless the cost. Regardless the response. And I know today that is not a popular message. Amos declares this message in the northern kingdom of Israel. Look at the response. I encourage you, turn over to chapter 7. Chapter 7 is, is a brief dialogue. It's the only dialogue, really, in the book. But look at 7, verse 10. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel. Remember, they're in the northern kingdom. They have no temples, so the king erects a tabernacle. He creates his own priesthood to give the facade of worship. And this is the priest of Bethel, sent a message to Jeroboam, king of Israel. Amos is hatching a plot against you right here on your very doorstep. What he is saying is intolerable. It's amazing when one brings the message of God, often people view it intolerable. It was so with Amos. He is saying Jeroboam will soon be killed and the people of Israel will be sent away into exile. exile. Then Amaziah sent orders to Amos. Get out of here, you prophet. Go on back to the land of Judah and earn your living by prophesying there. Interesting. He wasn't earning his living this way. He was just obeying. He was a shepherd, a farmer. Don't bother us with your prophecies here in Bethel. This is the king's sanctuary and the national place of worship. But Amos replied, I'm not a professional prophet, and I was never trained to be one. I am just a shepherd, and I take care of sycamore fig trees. But the Lord 
called me away from my flock and told me, Go, prophesy to my people in Israel. Now then, listen to the message from the Lord. You say, Don't prophesy against Israel. Stop preaching against my people. But this is what the Lord says. Your wife will become a prostitute in this city. Your sons and daughters will be killed. Your land will be divided up and you yourself will die in a foreign land. And the people of Israel will certainly become captives in exile far from their homeland. What a bold message. What a bold stance. The king... The king, so-called priest, the people of Israel reject Amos's message, failing to realize that it's not his, but the Lord's. How often have we come, heard a message that pokes at us, failing to realize that God is striving to work in our hearts. Israel. Amos is coming to a very proud, proud people, a proud kingdom. I appreciate what one commentator said. He says, Amos prophesied during a period of national optimism in Israel. I think that's a great way to state it. He says, business is booming, boundaries are bulging, but below the surface, greed and injustice are festering. Hypocritical religious motions have replaced true worship, creating a false sense of security and a growing callousness to God's disciplining hand. Famine, drought, plagues, death, destruction, nothing, Nothing is able to force these people to their knees in worship and repentance before God. They're politically powerful. They look around and it's never been this good. They've made alliances with other nations, putting their trust in that over the very God who gave them the land who brought them out of Egypt. They have military might, they have prosperity, they have wealth. And they've put their trust in those things instead of the almighty hand of God. Before we, we judge too quickly, we are never far from doing the very same thing, are we? It's political season. We're looking at leaders again. And how quickly we can shift from placing our faith and trust in God and shifting and trying to put it into an individual in an office. If you were to look at Israel then, you would see a different picture than what you see today. Israel in this time was bursting forth with wealth. Prosperity, other nations looked to them in awe of all that they had. Never had the people felt so at ease 
in luxury, big homes, fancy things. On the outside, people were in wonder. They're like, wow. Their king, well, oh, he was a people pleaser. One of the most evil kings of Israel. One who brought in more pagan worship than ever before. Drawing people's hearts to things, materials, these puny gods instead of Yahweh. The great I Am. Oh, they had come a long way from when Moses introduced God as the great I Am. And now they go and worship wood, stone, and gold. Things carved with man's hands. And the boundaries seem to expand as they make alliances and become more and more like the pagan nations around them. Worship is easy. Oh, everybody does it. It looks good. It feels good. Worship was never meant to look good, feel good. Worship was to be focused on a great God. Where our hearts are humbled and we lift Him up. When we worship, we should come before God. We should see ourselves for who we are, see Him for who He is, and stand amazed that one so mighty, so pure, so just would want a relationship. But they'd forgotten all of that. All the pleasures of the heart, all the desires of the body were theirs for the taking. Israel looked different during that time. God looks down. God sees Israel. All the other nations are wow. And God looks and he, is, he despises what he sees. Look at Amos 6, 8. Look at the word of the Lord. It says, the sovereign Lord has sworn by his own name. There is no other name. There is no greater name to swear by. And this is what he, the Lord God of heaven's army, says. I despise the arrogance of Israel. And I hate their fortresses. I will give this city and everything in it to their enemies. Be careful where you place your trust. Why listen to a message like Amos? Life's good. Surely God wouldn't bring all of that when things are so good, right? Amos, get out of here. We don't need that kind of negativity. We don't need that kind of talk around us. Things are good, Amos. Go home. We must not conclude... And church, this is a message for America if there ever was one. 
We must not conclude that material prosperity, political power, are indications of God's approval. Oh, we've looked at our nation. We are proud Americans, right? And I'm not saying that we shouldn't love this nation, that we shouldn't stand for things that are good, but we have looked at our nation and we're like, God's pleased. I'm not sure he is. In fact, I know he's not when I look around. Israel had fallen victim to this kind of thinking, and you and I can so easily do the same. A life of ease can often bring about apathy. And I've seen apathy swell up within the church of today. And apathy only leads to idolatry in our lives and our hearts. The nation of Israel was like a basket of rotting fruit, Amos says. Ripe for God's judgment. Because of its hypocrisy and spiritual indifference. That's the message of Amos. Let's look at this book in, in overview just for a little bit here. Amos lays out his, his message in, in powerful written form. If they were going to kick him out, he was going to leave it with them. Amos delivers his message both of, in prophetic form of, of foretelling the things that were immediate and foretelling the things that would come. His message is, is written in vigorous Hebrew poetry. When you read this, when you see it unfold in, in the poetic form, the words are, are powerful. The pictures that Amos gives of God's message, the justice that will be dealt out, should make one tremble. And Amos addresses a message from a God roaring, thundering from Israel, from Jerusalem. It's broken down, and I love how it's broken down. It's kind of an alliteration type thing. Not really alliterated, but I love the way the structure of Amos was. At the very beginning, you see that Amos gives eight prophecies. They're very brief. They're very short. And if you put them on a map, it spirals into the center. And these prophecies are against the surrounding countries and Israel themselves. When, when you look at that, each prophecy begins with, thus says the Lord. When God is saying something, folks, we need to listen. When God's word is given, pay attention. And he has messages for, for these surrounding nations, Damascus, Gaza, Tyree, Edom. Edom, we're going to look at next week. Amen, Moab, even Judah. There's a message for Judah. But then God lands on Israel in chapter 2, verse 6. And the rest of the message of God's prophecy is for Israel. And it's, the message is heavy, yet Amos continues to burden that message to Israel with clarity and power. 
Folks, when God's message is clear, do not shy away. Do not approach it in a weak manner. Deliver it with authority and power. When we declare the message of Jesus Christ, we declare it with clarity and power. And the fields are ripe. After this, there's three brief sermons that, that Amos delivers. And it lists out the sins of Israel and God's call for repentance. Oh, God wants them to have a heart of repentance. It's at the very heartbeat of all that he says here. The first one really dives in to, to all the sins of Israel. And it's, it's concerning as you read it because you're like, that's our nation. That's our nation. Oh my goodness, that's our nation. And I'm not saying America replaces Israel at all, but there are some really clear correlations here for sure that we need to wake up and see the second message over and over God declares to them you have not returned to me I've done this but you didn't return I sent this but you haven't returned I sent this individual but you haven't returned to me God is pleading with his people wanting them to come back. And he opens up on the pages of Amos their heart for them to see. It's a reflection. But Israel misses it. He says, you hate justice. You hate integrity. You hate compassion so caught up in the material things the desires of the flesh they now hate these things and God's message is clear therefore since you will not repent judgment is coming Justice is coming. Church, be very careful when we cry out for God's justice. Because when it comes, it is terrifying. Look at chapter 5 with me. Chapter 5, verse 20 through 24. This is just a brief glimpse. Look at what it says. Yes! The day of the Lord will be dark and hopeless. That's quite a picture. Hopeless. We strive to hold on to hope, do we not? We cling to hope. But that day will be dark and hopeless without a ray of joy or hope. I hate God says, all your show and pretense. The hypocrisy of your religious festivals and solemn assemblies. Oh, on the outside, they look good. On the outside, they looked religious. And God sees hypocrisy, pretense. 
He says, I will not accept your burnt offerings and your grain offerings. I won't even notice all your choice peace offerings. Away with your noisy hymns of praise. I will not listen to the music of your harps. Instead, I want to see a mighty flood of justice. That phrase right there should strike terror in their hearts. An endless river of righteous living. God's justice is going to flow mightily towards Israel. Repent. Turn to the Lord. Amos cries out throughout his, his message. Repent. Turn to the Lord. The people reject Amos' warnings. Their, their coming judgment is portrayed in, in a series of five different visions towards the end of the book. It's interesting. You see there's a vision of, of locusts and fire. There's a plumb line, rotten fruit, unavoidable judgment. Amos sees these visions and he is overwhelmed. When we look at the justice of God, our hearts should, should melt. Amos sees this and he cries out to God. He goes and petitions for them on their behalf. And God relents of the first two. But the next three, they're coming. The plumb line, Israel's found failing. The rotten fruit, they're worthless and only good to be thrown out. Well, the unavoidable judgment, God has spoken. It's interesting, I see this, this pattern here. And I look at us and I see that you and I, we've seen God's warnings, we've seen God's judgment on others around us, even ourselves. Do we pay attention? Some of us have heard countless sermons, so many that you've probably forgotten more than you remember. Do we heed the messages that God has been sending forth? And the pictures that God has given us all around us. What do we see? Will we repent? Will we turn to Him? Amos closes his, his writing this way. I want you to see a picture of our God. Because even though there is prophecy even though there's sermons even though there are the visions god extends hope something to hold on to verse 8 chapter 9 i 
the sovereign Lord, am watching this sinful nation of Israel, I will destroy it from the face of the earth. But I will never completely destroy the family of Israel, says the Lord, for I will give the command and will shake Israel along with other nations as grain is shaken in a sea. Yet, not one true kernel will be lost. But all the sinners will die by the sword. All those who say nothing bad will happen to us. In that day, I will restore the fallen house of David. I will repair its damaged walls from the ruins. I will rebuild it and restore its former glory. And Israel will possess what is left of Edom and all the nations I have called to be mine. The Lord has spoken. He will do these things. The time will come, says the Lord, when the grain and grapes will grow faster than they can be harvested. I love that. Then the terrace vineyards on the hills of Israel will drip with sweet wine. I will bring my exiled people of Israel back from distant lands and they will rebuild their ruined cities and live in them again. They will plant vineyards and gardens and will eat their crops and drink their wine. I will firmly plant them there in their own land. They will never again be uprooted from the land I have given them, says the Lord your God. That's our God. And a simple shepherd, a farmer, delivers this clear, forceful message of God's justice to a people. He delivers it, yet there is a message of mercy. Oh, to look at God's justice. What is deserved. When we look at our sin, we deserve death. The scripture says, for the wages of sin is death. That's justice. But God extends mercy. And when you and I have the opportunity to receive what is not deserved, what is not owed to us what is not fair we receive God's mercy he extends that he extended it to Israel he extends it to us yet as you see him extend his mercy, do not forget that God is just. He is holy. He is righteous. Do not separate the two. The powerful fact of Amos' message is wonderful and amazing. That you and I serve a just God. It is the very character, his passion. But at it, he also extends grace and mercy. 
and as he was crying out to Israel, he says, Know me, come to me, repent. He's extending that same offer today. And he's given you and I, through his son, Jesus Christ, the opportunity to enter into that relationship. A message that is powerful and beautiful. Yet a young, young girl like Katie Farmer can grasp the significance. Understand that she too was a sinner. You and I, sinners. But God extends His mercy through His Son, Jesus Christ. His death, burial, and resurrection. And we can hold on to that hope. Church, today we need to see that we have a God who is just. But justice was paid at Calvary. Oh, may we repent and receive that gift that he's given through his son. Let's pray. God, Wow, we start with, with looking at a young girl declaring her faith in you. We sing your praises, a song like a thousand names, and God, there's so many more that you are worthy of. We see a people that are comfortable apathetic to you we see you pleading with them we see your justice God we come to a point with your mercy God I look at you this morning I contemplate those things and I am amazed I am in awe of you that you would allow us to come to you as Abba, Father. That you would desire to call us your bride, your children. Because of your Son, Jesus Christ. God, I pray that you would do a work in our hearts. God, that we would desire to worship you truly not with hypocrisy. Oh God, may our hearts truly align with you. God, we love you. We praise you. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.